We have grown, and we have more room to grow. So that's kind of reflecting. So praise God for the growth, right? Praise him, thank him. It's all him. We've grown. Praise God. Now we get to project. We have room to grow, though. Amen? Amen. We have room to grow. What are some things that we're working on as leaders, that I'm kind of working on as pastor, that are coming down the pipes? So uh, we're kicking off First Timothy. All right, First Timothy. Reason for that, uh, several reasons. One, well, actually, I'll get into that in a second as I jump into First Timothy. But one of the reasons is because it will challenge and, I think, cause us to create and think in new categories as it pertains to the structure and ministry of our church. Uh, 1 Timothy has a huge theme of leadership and organization in the church. And so, as I often say, uh, it'd be nice to just look at the book of Acts and kind of see our church kind of looking like that and more or less. And that's, I think, what 1 Timothy will, in many ways, help us to reexamine and rethink some of our organizational leadership structures and how that all plays out. So 1 Timothy uh, will be growing in that area. Another area we have room to grow in is member care and discipleship. All right, member care and discipleship. It's not something we've historically been very good at. We have a lot of room to grow in this area. And so while we've had lots of new members, and many of our seasoned members are still here, that also creates challenges as far as ongoing discipleship and care. Challenges that right now we have Sunday school and Wednesday night Bible study as our kind of primary vehicles, and we may need more to supplement that in the future so that all of you, all of you who are members can be plugged in and growing and in meaningful relationship with other believers. So to that end, we'll be working uh, very hard towards the beginning of the year on launching small groups that will be home-based and meet in houses throughout the week uh, for ongoing accountability, ongoing love, care, discipleship, growth, and all of that. So be praying for that. We'll be, have more about that in the future. And so these are some of the things we're working on. Uh, another thing, children's ministry, because we do have lots of babies and lots of children, uh, that is a weak area that we will be working on uh, adamantly to grow and love the least of these, right? So I'm very excited. 2016, I'm very, very, very excited. Oh, and one more thing. One more thing. I almost forgot. As I said, speaking of growing as a church, we're also growing as a family, and so you have the privilege, as my family, of knowing that my wife and I will also be expecting our third child. Amen. Thank you. And 2016. And so be praying for us. Uh, it is very early still yet. And please, no Facebook announcements or Twitter, all right? <laughs> we haven't announced it. You guys are our family, so we still got a few other people. But we love you guys and wanted to share the good news. So Inside Out continues. Uh, round three. My life is going to be crazy, so please be gracious with me this coming year uh, with three little ones. So we're excited. Thank you. Thank you so much. I just want to thank you guys. Uh, I'm going into my third year now as pastor, and I feel like, wow, it's been three years 
already. I feel like I just started last week still yet. So uh, I just want to thank you guys for your patience with me, uh, your prayers for me and my family. Uh, have been, they've been heard and answered, and we appreciate them, and we love you guys very dearly. And so thank you, and I look forward to growing in 2016. What's our itinerary? What's our itinerary for a while? I've got our preaching schedule planned through April, through Easter. So on the, on the docket, 1 Timothy, and I'm telling you this so that you can, if you want to adjust your reading plans for this ahead of time. 1 Timothy. After 1 Timothy, we're going to read, uh, hit another gospel. So last time we did the gospel of Mark, this time we're going to do the gospel according to Keone. The gospel according to John, right? Uh, people are like, what? No. Uh, the gospel according to John. So we're going to hit uh, John after 1 Timothy. And then after John, we're going to launch into, we're going to pick up in the Old Testament where we left off with the book of Exodus. All right, so I'm very excited as we continue to work our way through our series. Why 1 Timothy? Well, several reasons. Uh, one of them, primarily because it was written to a young pastor, written to a young pastor with instructions from God on how to order the church, which for some reason I find to be very relevant for myself, all right? For some reason, I don't know why, it just seems to strike as a good place to go. And I think you'll find it very relevant also. Relevant, relevant also. Uh, so in 1 Timothy, what we're going to do is we're going to examine how God desires his church to be structured, how he desires it to be run, and it's going to kind of reflect a little bit on our current leadership structures as well. But don't think it's just for leaders, as if, oh man, there's going to be like a whole book on like, church organization. That sounds really fun. Okay, it actually really is really fun, but there's something in there for everybody also, all right? It's not just for leaders. There's a little bit for uh, false teachers in there. There's a lot of Timothy dealing with, as a young pastor, false teaching in the church, which you're going to see is very relevant for our day and age. There's the law, how Paul interacts with the law and instructions regarding it and its role in the Christian life. There's uh, instructions regarding prayer. So many of you are like, man, how do we pray? How should we pray? What should prayer look like in this context? There's, there's instructions regarding prayer. There's discussions in authority in the church. I have to be careful with this one. There's uh, there's a pretty good section on the role of women in the church. I have to be careful there in our culture. Very sensitive subject, but God's word speaks clearly to it. Widows. All right, we've got a little bit for widows, senior ministry, money, and much, much more. All of those things will be covered in 1 Timothy as we walk through it. There's a thread that runs through the whole letter. There's a thread that runs through the entire letter, and that's the truths of the gospel and sound doctrine make a visible difference in the lives of those who believe. So the truths of the gospel and sound doctrine make a visible, tangible difference in the lives of those who believe it. Or another way you could say it is that genuine godliness, holiness, flows from the gospel and is sustained by it. And this is the result of sound doctrine, 
such that what we believe, what we believe, has a visible and direct impact on how we act and behave in the life of the body. And so that thread runs throughout this book. So let's pray, and we're going to launch into uh, our time in 1 Timothy. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the work and your faithfulness, how you have uh, manifested your glory this past year in 2015 to undeserving sinners like us. And Lord, we ask now as we look forward to 2016, Lord, we commit our ways to you. We want to do nothing other than follow you, and we don't want to go anywhere if you aren't there. And so, Father, we, we are in anticipation for how you will move in our church in the year to come. May we be eager to obey and follow you and to maintain the, the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I pray that you would bless our time in 1 Timothy, that Christ would be magnified and that we would be built up in love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so one of the things I love about uh, having new members and new believers and in many cases is that some of you haven't been saved for very long, and so for the first time, you're examining uh, this book of 1 Timothy. So in your Bibles, we call it a book. It's actually not a book as we typically think of books today, or rather you turn them on and on a Kindle, okay, or something like that. It's actually a letter. It's a letter from one man to another man with the intention that that letter will be read to the church. And so in this case, it is from Paul to Timothy. The way they wrote letters back in the ancient times was actually seems far more logical than the way we write letters today. They put from Paul to Timothy. Today, if you want to know who you got a letter from, you got to go all the way to the bottom or to the back to see who it's actually from. But here, right at the outset, he identifies who is the letter from and to, and it's to Timothy. I venture to say that most of us know who Paul is, right? The great apostle, Saul, the persecutor on the church, sees a vision of God on the road to Damascus, turns his life around 180. He's a new believer, new heart, and he's preaching the gospel, passionate, goes all over the world, spreading the name of Christ. Many of us may not know who Timothy is. Who's Timothy? We're introduced to Timothy in the book of Acts chapter 16. Timothy is a, is a hybrid. He's a half-breed, like myself. Timothy is a, his mom is a Jew, and his father is a pagan Greek. So in Timothy's life, Timothy, his mom is the primary one who taught him the faith, who brought him up in the scriptures, and his grandmother. And we're introduced that Timothy is a believer in Christ. And Paul notices Timothy, and at some point, Paul invites Timothy along with him onto and into his journeys. This is how Paul, over the course of their ministry, they became very close. This is how Paul describes his relationship with Timothy in Philippians chapter 2. Check this out. And keep in mind what Rocky preached on last week on humility. Philippians 2, 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may be cheered by news of you. And check this out. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. 
But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. You see that? I have nobody else like Timothy. He has served side by side like my own son, learning the trade, laboring side by side with me for the gospel. And he's not concerned for his own interests, but for the interests of Christ. What a wonderful testimony to be spoken about you. Praise God. So Paul loves Timothy. He ministers alongside Timothy. And he's left Timothy in Ephesus. Timothy, who seeks not his own interest, but the interest of Christ, is faithful. I just want to make a side application right off the bat. Uh, as, uh, as we do um, New Year's, this kind of challenged me. As you are approaching New Year's, many of you do your New Year's resolutions of some kind or goal setting or something of that nature. That's good. But as you do New Year's resolutions, how many of those resolutions are focused on yourself? And how many are focused on others? Specifically, how many of those New Year's resolutions are focused on the interests of Christ? And this was Timothy. The gospel had so changed his heart that he, because he was focused on the interests of Christ, was others-oriented. And because of his others-oriented and Christ-centeredness, Paul could leave him in Ephesus. And he left him there in this big city of Ephesus to refute false teachers and build a church. Quite simply, I want you to stay, Timothy. There's things here to be done. I'm going to set you over it to do it. And so young Timothy finds himself in a very prominent city, in a prominent church, amidst great conflict. Imagine if that was my job calling, whereas every, any pastor, right? Hey, I want you to go here. I want you to stay here. It's going to be really hard, and there's going to be false teachers, and they're not going to respect you. They're not going to listen to you. I want you to stay. I want you to be faithful and preach the gospel. We need ministers like that, amen? We need people. We need church members like that who will stay and be faithful and not only preach the gospel, but cling to it and guard it. And this is what Timothy was tasked to do. And so he's in this place called Ephesus. Now, all this is going to be really important as we launch into it. So that's why I'm going into this. He's in Ephesus. Now, where is Ephesus? Today, that would be in modern-day Turkey. You're like, well, where's Turkey? Well, Turkey was just in the news because they actually shot down a Russian fighter warplane uh, that crossed their airspace in Syria, right on the border. So Turkey doesn't mess around, all right? So that's kind of Turkey. They're there, and they're involved in that region on the border of Syria. And in that day, the city of Ephesus was actually quite the prominent city. Ephesus has an amazing church history. It's actually recorded in Acts chapter 19. The church in Ephesus was planted by Paul with great passion and, and prominence and power for the gospel. There was awesome things that happened. So here's what Paul did in Ephesus. As he was passing around, he stayed in Ephesus ultimately for three years, and he was teaching and working, and he says, I did not cease night and day to proclaim the gospel to you, the full counsel of God. And as a result, we have the great book of Ephesians. Think about Ephesians. 
How many of you have been encouraged by Ephesians? I did a wedding last night, and Ephesians chapter 5 was the text, right? There's so much in Ephesians, and this is the church that Timothy is a pastor of that gave us the great book of Ephesians. Lives were changed. People were healed. Acts 19, you can read about this. Verse 11, it says that uh, handkerchiefs or face cloths that Paul would even touch, if they even touched Paul, that the people would take them and take them to the sick and the diseases would leave them. So imagine if I'm like preaching up here, it's hot, and I'm like, man, I need a, I'm just going to wipe off my face. Okay. And some sick person touches that. I'm like, dude, I got healed. <laughs> I got, I'm healed. And now they're starting to take all my, you know, I have allergies, so I'm like, <laughs> right? Oh, man, it's, it's healing people, right? That would be awesome. And that's exactly what was happening. You even read about this strange story. There were seven brothers. Uh, they were all Jewish brothers, and their names, they were the sons of Sceva, right? And these were traveling uh, itinerant, what would you call them, exorcists, basically. They were Jewish exorcists, so they would cast out demons, and these guys come and try and copy what Paul is doing in Ephesus, and they try and cast this demon out of this guy. And they, they quote the name of Jesus and the name of Paul to try and cast out this demon. And in the process, it says, the demon leapt on them, the demon-possessed man leapt on them, overpowered them, and mastered them. In other words, we would say today they got owned. All right? They just got owned. And it says they all left the house naked and injured. And everybody heard about it. All right? Everybody heard about it. How would you like to be those guys? All right? You go in to cast out a demon and you run out naked and injured. That's pretty embarrassing. This was the church plan in Ephesus. The community was changed. The people, the idols, they so clung to the promises of the gospel and turned from their sinful pagan ways that they brought their idols and they burned them. This had a huge, they didn't sell them on Craigslist. They didn't try and make money for it so that they can give it to the gospel. They just burned them because there's no going back. Eventually, a riot happened. Paul had to leave. It's an amazing place. Ephesus is an amazing place. It was the home of one of the ancient wonders of the world, the temple of the goddess Artemis. Uh, the Greeks called her Artemis. The Romans called her Diana. This was her home. This was her hometown. The temple was there. So that's their church history. That's the beginnings of their church. It began in power as the gospel was preached, and there were great trials and adversaries. So I want to examine two points this morning, one from Acts chapter 19 and the other one from Timothy and I think it presents a good trajectory for us to launch off in, in the new year. Number one, first point from Acts 19, magnification through proclamation. Magnification through proclamation. The second point will be restoration through identification. Restoration through identification. I'm going to read Acts 19 and 10 in verses 17, uh, Acts 19, 10 and verse 17 through 20. I'm going to read this. You can flip there if you'd like. So Luke records, this continued for two years. That is Paul proclaiming the truths about the gospel. This continued for two years. Check this out. 
so that all the residents of Asia heard the, lo- the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. We've got work to do, Kahalui Baptists. In two years, Paul was able to work tirelessly such that everybody in Asia heard the gospel. May that be said of Kahalui, Maui, that all had heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks, Hawaiians and Haoles, all peoples would hear the word of the Lord. Continuing on, verse 17. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. That's what happened with the demon-possessed dude. And fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Magnification through proclamation. That's what happens when we proclaim the gospel, the truths of what Christ has done through his death, burial, and resurrection, and canceling out sin for all who would turn and believe in him. We magnify Christ when we proclaim the gospel in word. And that's what Paul did tirelessly for three years. Brothers and sisters, this is our charge. As we launch into small groups, as we launch into uh, Sunday school and continuing to refine what we're doing is to proclaim the word of God in word, testimony, witness, proclamation. Nobody gets saved apart from the preaching of the gospel. And it requires boldness intentionality, forethought for you to do that with your family and friends. This community will not be changed by Pastor Randy. This community will not be changed by the deacons or the leadership of this church. This community will be changed by the gospel being preached by God's people and the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of Christ. So we magnify the gospel when we proclaim it in word. We magnify the gospel when we display the gospel in deed. We're going to do that in a second here. But we magnify the gospel. We proclaim it and we hold it up as valuable and beautiful when we proclaim it in word and deed. Now, where is that at in the text? Acts 19, when they were bringing all of their things, they were confessing and divulging their practices, and those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. It wasn't just word. It was matched with word and deed. This faith took root. Remember what I said that thread is that runs through Timothy? That the truths of the gospel manifest themselves visibly in outward displays of godliness and holiness. That's exactly what happens here. They magnify the gospel indeed by confessing and forsaking their sins. And this is a sign of a true believer. This is a sign of somebody who finds their identity in Christ alone and have no interest in protecting their own reputation. Man, how often do we hear about this, right? Of, man, these people were, they weren't just burning their books. They were giving witness as to what they were doing. They were confessing their sins and divulging them. 
when they had no other reason but to do it other than that they loved Jesus Christ with all of their hearts. That's powerful. That's powerful. And that's the beginnings of humility. That's the beginnings of the working of God coming and manifesting itself in power. And why does this magnify Christ? You see the value of these things? It was significant. They added it up. Luke took note of it. 50,000 pieces of silver. Why does he show that? One, because Christ is magnified when he is prized more than profit. Christ is shown to be more valuable if this is my idol, and for many people it is, if this is what I love and worship and treasure and prize and hold tight and keep in a glass case and makes my money and my living and I'm dependent on it. Wait a minute, I'm getting a little concerned here, okay? Oh, if this is an idol for me and Jesus comes and says, follow me and forsake that, and if I leave that, and follow Christ. What's more valuable? Christ. Christ. That's exactly what they did. They summed up all of their, their wealth, their profit, their livelihood. This was there for many of them. This was their job. This was their income. This is how they sustained their family. And it didn't honor Christ. And at the end of the day, they magnified the gospel when they said, I'm willing to leave it all. So Paul says, Philippians 3, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Brothers and sisters, do you count all things as loss? This year, 2016, some of you may be holding on to things quite like them, with good excuses, but this is my income, this is how I support my family, I don't know. Do you count all things as loss for the sake of Christ, of gaining Christ? Do you count all things as loss for the sake that others may gain Christ? The sin, struggle, habit you've been holding on to. Do you count your family as loss? Do you count material goods as loss for the sake of Christ? If you do not, if you do not, I want to challenge you. Christ is worth it. He is infinitely more valuable, and the pleasures and promises that he offers are infinitely greater in himself than anything that sin can promise you, than any temporary good that the world has to offer. Christ is better. Christ is is better. We sing this song, right? Christ is better. Make my heart believe. The reality is, is in this fallen world, believers, seminary students, pastor, church leaders, because we're fallen, we struggle to grasp the truth of that reality that Christ is better. It's a wrestle. It's an ongoing struggle. Which leads us into my second point. Restoration through identification. Restoration through identification. And that launches us into our first two verses. 
Paul starts off, I'm going to read him again. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true or genuine child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul starts off, he labels his identity, his commission from Christ. There is authority beyond, behind that. That idea of commission is a direct type of military order from a superior to a subordinate. And Paul is saying, that's me, I have a commission from Christ. Why did he say that to Timothy when they're like this already? I mean, I've got good friends like Wes. I don't normally text Wes or something in the mornings like, Wes? This is Pastor Randy. Just want to let you know, this is what we need to do today. I don't do that with my good friend. He already, he knows. I know him, and, and we do this. I don't need to do that. Why does he do that? Because like I said, Paul knows full well this letter is going to be read before the church. And Paul is going to establish his authority commissioned by Christ himself. He's going to establish his authority, and then by extension, extend that authority to Timothy. Such that to resist what Paul is saying and what he's going to charge Timothy with saying is to resist God himself. So that's why he does that. He's not just laying the groundwork, though, for the commands to the church. He's encouraging Timothy. He's encouraging Timothy to stay where he is, stay put, even though it's difficult, it's hard. Yes, there's conflict. Yes, there are people who are trying to teach other things that are out of line with sound doctrine. But he's encouraging Timothy to stay. He tells him in verse 3, I urged you to stay at Ephesus. Notice how he says, my true child in the faith. If they're really close and Paul had to leave, where do you think Timothy's going to want to go? He's going to want to go with Paul. He's going to want to follow Paul. He's going to be there with Paul. But Paul says, Timothy, I'm urging you, I'm counseling you to stay. And this is encouraging for Timothy. Why is it encouraging? Because if he knows that Paul has been appointed by God, and if he knows that now Paul, being appointed by God, is now urging and counseling Timothy to stay where he is, even though it's difficult, that means Timothy can stay and work knowing that that is exactly where God wants him to be. Isn't that what you want to know when you're in a hard place? when you have to make a hard decision and you're not sure what to do, what's right, don't you want to know that this is where God wants me to be? Doesn't that give you peace? To stay and fight and persevere? Some of you are in a hard situation. Like I said, when the clock strikes midnight, it's not like everything bad from 2015 went away. It's hard. And some of you are in a challenging season or place in life. How do you know? How do you know whether God intends you to stay or go, to throw in the towel or keep fighting? How do you know? May I suggest one way? It's to take godly counsel from the Word of God through His appointed leaders. And this can be comforting if it's from the Word of God as you persevere in hardship because it's often, often in the fires of adversity that the kingdom of God is built. It's often in the hardship, in the challenge, in the pain, in the loneliness that the kingdom of God will be manifested. 
Which is interesting then that the very next thing he says, after he says, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God, he calls God our what? Our Savior. It's a direct Old Testament reference to the working of God to deliver his people out of hardship. God is our Savior. Keep going, Timothy. I'm going to remind you about who God is and who you are in light of who God is. That's what he's doing. He's reminding him. He's encouraging him through his identity. Who is God? He is our Savior. And who is Christ? He is our hope. Past and future, right there. God, our Savior, delivering me from my past trials, my ultimate struggles under the wrath of God, and my future hope, my inheritance with Christ and glory. Know who God is, Timothy, and know who you are, my true child in the faith. And both of these truths, all these truths, who God is and who we are in Christ, are extremely important as this letter unfolds and as he gives directions for the future of the church at Ephesus. So is this true of your life, brothers and sisters? Maybe 2015 was really challenging. Maybe it was really joyful. Maybe 2016 hasn't started off quite so well. I would bet all of us, no matter how it is, have areas in our lives that once started strong. Areas in which, just like the church at Ephesus, had a really strong spiritual history, but now starting to veer off course and to need course correction. Many of you have areas in your life that are like this. As we aim to realign this year with God's purposes as a church, God's purposes as individual families, this will only happen as we magnify Christ through the proclamation of the gospel to each other in our homes in our hearts as we memorize scripture together and as it's on our lips. We magnify through proclamation and as we remember who we are, who God is, and who we are in relation to who God is. Now maybe you're here for the first time this new year or you're just getting back into this and you've wandered away and you want to get on track. I want to invite you. We're about to have a time of prayer right now. I want to invite you. Now is a great time to come. Not tomorrow, not later this evening, today. Now, I invite you as we sing in response to come and pray with me. I'll pray with you. This is how the church in Ephesus started, brothers and sisters. And this is how it will return to its powerful roots. And this provides us trajectory and a good direction as we consider returning to the roots of Scripture and ordering our lives in our church as God would desire us in 2016. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know what I desire to see and what our church desires to see is impossible if you don't do it. So we ask that you would do far more abundantly than all that we could even ask or think in Christ. We ask that you would build your church. And Father, as you build, we know that our enemy is not silent. We ask that you would 
not allow the gates of hell to prevail. I ask that you would deliver us, Lord, I pray, that your kingdom would reign here this year. Would you grant faith and give life? For your name I pray. Amen. Now is the time of invitation. I'm going to be in this room on my right.